Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to The Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Today's a great podcast. Again, Tim has brought a guest on and that is Sarah Khan. Now, I would ask Tim why he brought Sarah onto the podcast, but from what I understand, she is the Chief Information Security Officer. So we brought some security in the building today and uh, I think I'm supposed to be behave myself. Tim, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm a little scared. What's, what's, okay. Why'd you bring Sarah on the well, podcast today? <laughs> Sarah's here to protect you. Come on. Oh, good. All right. Ooh, that makes me feel much better. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I guess one of the reasons why I thought it would be beneficial to have Sarah on the podcast is we've talked in the past about our planning processes. Uh, you know, we follow the CFP training processes to prepare financial plans for clients, but as we get into working with entrepreneurs, business owners, high net worth individuals that are more complicated, we we kind of focus in addition on things like uh, advanced tax planning, helping prepare their heirs, for, you know, to receive wealth mm -hmm. from the next generation. And one of the areas we spend a lot of time on is asset protection, and that could mean protecting assets from litigation, from divorce, but it also these days I think to a great extent means protecting data, protecting your brand, your your information from, or security purposes from theft. And so I, I just, you know, I've worked with Sarah for a couple of years here at Hightower, and I just thought it would be really great to have her come uh, on the podcast and kind of talk about some of the things that she does for our clients to protect our clients. So I just thought I'd maybe start off by just, Sarah, if you want to just introduce yourself and maybe give us a little background. Sure. Um, I have over 15 years of technology and engineering experience, primarily in the financial services sector. So I've been with Hightower now approximately about six years and counting. And then just a little bit about me. Yeah. Born and raised in Chicago, so stayed local for my undergraduate and master's degrees. Um, so I've always been a little bit more technical oriented. So I did electrical engineering. Cubs fan or White Sox fan? Cubs all the way. Okay. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> Um, and then from there, I went on to doing a master's in data analytics through Northwestern. Um, so also stayed local for that. And then um, most recently finished a financial services leadership management program at Wharton. Okay. So talk about how some of those designations or some of that training uh, might be applicable in terms of working with advisors like myself, uh, the Hightower Great Lakes team, and really drilling down to how that benefits some of the client, our clients. Sure. So being able to connect with like-minded people that are actually in the financial services sector, what that does is provide uh, a good baseline of what's really happening in the marketplace. So what we do is collect a lot of that data, share a lot of that data, see our findings and the patterns that we're seeing in the in the um, world out there. And basically, I spend majority of my time connecting with advisors such as yourself and educating on the latest threats that we're seeing in the marketplace these tips and advices are what we use to protect our um, advisor practices, but also what advisors can apply in their business to just ensure that we're focusing on providing what's best for the clients and protecting their data. Okay, so specifically, um, one of the things I talk to clients about is 
what, uh, like where the assets are, maybe that's at the custodian level. So the accounts might be at Fidelity or Pershing versus we might be holding data through some of our contact management systems. So what are some of the, the systems that you oversee or, or are they all of them? Do you work with the custodians also? So we leverage a lot of the security that's provided by our custodians. One of the key things that we do as we work with any vendor, especially the custodians, is go through a thorough due diligence process, which ensures that we understand the security that is in place and they're meeting our minimum requirements. Just because they're heavily regulated, for the most part, they're in compliance and there's very little concern. The data that comes out from those custodial systems, we manage a lot of the protection that happens in-house. Majority of that data, um, we try to reduce the amount of PII, which means personal, personally identifiable information. So what that data is basically being able to build a profile of a customer. So wherever we store that data, we ensure that um, Salesforce is a very large you know, vendor. A lot of people have heard of Salesforce. So that is our contact management system. And what we do is work very closely with Salesforce to ensure the security is in place. There's encryption on the columns, the data. And ultimately, what we're really focusing on is protecting that sensitive data so that our clients don't have to be concerned, our advisors don't have to be concerned about where that data is being stored. What, what would be an example of, I mean, it sounds like I know just from my experience working with uh, Fidelity, working with Pershing, also, you know, the working with the, the technology systems we use, but what would be an example of how maybe data could be inadvertently or, or accidentally released and, and, and how we might, um, you know, be focusing on that and protecting clients that way? Yeah, so when when our advisors deal with any of that data, there's a lot of protection in place on the computers that they're using. So what we'll try to do is limit the data that is being accessed and making sure that we are doing that through safe routes. So we have things in place like mobile device management, which allows our advisors to be mobile, connect with clients wherever they may be. We want to provide a convenience to all of our advisors to be able to connect with clients wherever they may be. And the way of doing that is also making sure that we're protecting the mobile devices, your phones, your laptops, your computers, making sure there's encrypted hard drives. Yeah, I know I, I've talked to some of my clients that are businesses uh, that have employees who use phones for business. And you know we've talked about and I've read about the recommendation that really the company should own and control that phone because you don't want the company data on somebody's personal phone. Right. So exactly. how, how do we address that? So there's also a concept called bring your own device. And in order to allow advisors to be as productive as possible, they're going to have a preference to be able to use their, their phones. What we do is actually push out an encrypted container that will contain all of your corporate or business-related data in this container. So we take a sliver of basically your phone and it has the information that's relevant to your business. And if in the situation, God forbid, that phone is lost or stolen, we have the ability to remotely wipe it. And so we'll send out a command that wipes out all the sensitive data. And you have a choice whether you just want all the data deleted just because, you know, that might be your personal information itself that you don't want out there as well. Yeah, I know it takes me like five minutes to turn my phone on or my <laughs> iPad because there's so many things I have to hit and punch in and numbers and codes and yeah. third-party verification. But I, I know that's all, keep you safe. <laughs> it's all there to protect the clients because, right, I mean, the client's data ends up on those devices. Right. Talk about some other maybe technology that you've rolled out to us, the advisor, that 
has had a positive impact on protecting our clients. So I think one of the things um, we slightly touched on is, you know, when you're saying you have to enter credentials or the extra clicks that you do have to do. So a lot of the the access that advisors have to the portals, which is where the clients are, you know, client data may be or where the clients are actually accessing data. Um, there's something called dual factor authentication. And what that means is once a person has entered their username and password, we also want to do a second verification to ensure that it is truly them. So you may see this when you're accessing like a bank portal or something like that. And what that means is there's either a pin code that you're entering or there's a prompt that gets sent to your phone or some other device. And what that really is doing is after you've put in your credentials, there's second validation that happens to ensure that it is truly you that's trying to connect. And so that oftentimes will avoid a hacker who may have gotten your credentials to not intercept that second layer. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult to access or overtake a account or some sort of portal. So I, I have had examples, and I should say I probably have examples, not monthly, but at least two or three times a quarter where a client will call and say that uh, somebody has hacked into their Gmail or into their AOL. It typically happens with AOL for some reason, but yeah. they just they must not have great security. Um, and, and then I'll get an email. So I'll, I'll get an email apparently from the client, but... I can sense it's not from the client. Plus, also, we have a policy in place where we, we call somebody, call the client if they're, like, requesting funds transfer, things like that. But will the third-party authentication or the second authentication kind of help protect them if that, if that happens? Absolutely. So, dual factor, what that does is, so something that we've seen, just to give an example around or just add color to the situation. So, generally, when you're mentioning an email address being overtaken, um, social engineering is something that we've heard a lot about. So social engineering is basically the art of manipulating people so they give up confidential information, which could be you know, passwords or bank information, or they're trying to access your computer secretly to install malicious software. And then that gives them, pass that gives them basically access to other passwords or bank information. And so what happens is a client may have received an email, which was a phishing email, because someone has either social engineered it or they've understood the way a person may think or something like that, it, they send a fake email that looks real and then it's basically enticing a user to click on the link and then they're either downloading a file. So during that basically process, what they've done is sent a link, the user may have put in their email address and their password, and that might be the same password that they use in multiple places. And so the hacker has access to that. Then the account gets taken over, the email account gets taken over. Once that email account is taken over, then that's when you start seeing oddly phrased or it may does it doesn't necessarily yeah. sound just like the client, but right. you know it's not them, yeah. but someone's trying to mimic as if it is them. Mm -hmm. And so once that happens, you'll start getting those emails, you know, where you're trying to look for those uh, patterns where it doesn't seem like it's the client. And where that dual factor kicks in is that if someone had compromised the credentials, that second callback would probably have prevented that access to the account itself. So there's things that you could put in place like dual factor, or if you have a frequently used computer, it sometimes says, remember me, right? So if someone else is using a different device, it may say, this isn't an authorized device. Oh, sure, are, yeah. Are you, are you sure that's you? Mm -hmm. And so that also kind of prevents that takeover of the account. Okay, that sounds like, you know, we always think of uh, security as all about technology, making sure that the technology is secure, but it seems like Oftentimes when things happen, it's it's like you said, social engineering, or it's because somebody 
clicks an email they shouldn't have, or um, it's it's people, right? right. <laughs> it seems like that's usually the the cause. Absolutely, it's the users. Um, it's so much easier to trick a user or lure them in than it is to a system. So therefore, you know, the things that we had talked about, such as social engineering, where we're trying to get into the mindset of a user and try to reenact some of those things or, you know, entice them enough to click on something. So it's easier to uh, have a user do something rather than having the system, you know, find a glitch in a system and try to work through that angle. Yeah, that's what I find too when I'm talking to clients. So, you know, beyond the things that you do to protect my clients along with me, what are some recommendations you might have for clients, listeners, outside of this protecting their data, protecting their their brand and all their information? Sure. Something that's just general practice that we share, you know, is uh, security education or security awareness. So being aware of phishing attempts, these are at a high that we're seeing all over the place. So always keep in mind that when you're looking at an email, you recognize the sender, you recognize who is sending that email, the domain on that, the email address, what are they asking for, if the links are embedded in the email, do you know where that's redirecting to? So be cautious of the emails that you're clicking on or responding to. So when you uh, get an email, you can look at the email, the, like the address, and yeah, that'll you, kind of give you an indication yeah, if, if you, you think it's fraud? Yeah, absolutely. So if you click on the sender or if you're hitting a reply all, you can actually see the underlying email address. Okay. So you can actually tell if someone's transposed letters. Sometimes what people mm -hmm. are doing is to, in order to trick someone, they may spell fidelity, and then the I might be an L. Oh, sure, so, or say, hey, you, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So it's just keeping an eye out on seeing anything that looks unusual from an email address that you know, you're not expecting an email from, or it just doesn't look right. I cannot emphasize enough about password management. So a lot of people, what they do is they have an Excel sheet or a notepad or something of that nature where it has all their usernames and passwords. It's a goldmine for any hacker where you've created a list or a repository for yourself because it's hard to remember that entire list. You're trying to make it easy for yourself, but once someone takes over that computer or you click on something, you accidentally upload this file, you've basically handed over all your keys to your accounts. So I highly recommend managing passwords through some sort of password vault. Dashlane and LastPass are products that are out there that are heavily used. They're industry leaders in managing and protecting your passwords. And it's a great way of storing your login information. And it's in an encrypted manner. Yeah, I use Dashlane. And I find that it's pretty easy. It's an app on my phone and on my iPad. And it's just easy to get in there. And that's where they're all at. That's where I keep everything. Absolutely. So OnePass, LastPass, these are all products that are out there. Apple had done a partnership with one of them as well, you know, that keychain concept. So, And how about uh, even just changing passwords? I had a client call and say that they received an email to a user ID that they normally use, and it said we enlisted their password, like a password they must be using for almost everything, right? And it said, send Bitcoin, or, you know, we're going right. to... So, it, are there? How do they do that? Is there data mining that these criminals do to find that? Yeah. So there's basically there's something called a dictionary attack. So what's happening is there's a repository of passwords or different patterns of a password that are being stored. So people will just run through this engine and try multiple passwords until they get a hit. In order to circumvent that, pass phrases are recommended more so. 
So if you have a, a phrase or you're throwing in different combinations of you know symbols and letters, but something that you don't want to lock yourself out of too because you've made it so complex. But Dashlane is something that's great because it's a password generator. And what it'll do is come up with a combination of something that probably wouldn't, or it would be very hard to guess. And it's combined with digits, letters, symbols, everything, you name it, uppercase, lowercase, alphanumeric. And you don't even have to actually retype that password. What Dashlane does is there's a plugin on your browser. So when you're trying to access something, no one actually has to see that password. It will automatically log you in. So that's the safest route where you're not seeing the password. You're not trying to write it down anywhere. Dashlane is doing the authentication for you. It's stored in a safe place and then basically fed in for you to authenticate you to wherever portal you're trying to access. So you just don't want to lose your password to Dashlane. <laughs> Correct. And there's one master <laughs> yeah. password. Okay. And, you know, that basically lets you into any of your Dashlane accounts. Okay. And it, it protects it where it will detect unusual behavior. You get alerted if someone's trying to log into your Dashlane, you know, after maybe three attempts or something like that. So it's just a great way of man managing that. And all of them work similarly, last pass, one pass, and all of those. And I'll just throw in a side, somewhat related note that um, as a result in the past couple of years where I've had clients pass away, allowing your spouse or your partner, your significant other to know where your passwords are is really important. Yes. Because we've had situations where a client passes and they, they took the passwords with them or they, they didn't write them down. And just getting into... Visa cards to accounts to close them down or getting into, you know, getting your, your photos off your iPhone, things like that. Yeah. You need those passwords and it should be part of your estate plan. Absolutely. And products like Dashlane and LastPass, they actually allow you to add in a delegate so that automatically gets built in so that if you wanted to share, you can actually even have privacy on certain email accounts or I shouldn't say email accounts, but if you wanted to have certain accounts shared, you can actually share that with whoever is added as an authorized user. So oh. you you can actually go to the level of detail of saying they should have access to this, but not this, or oh, they should have great. access so to I, the entire account. So I could do that for my wife, Nancy, so she knows. Okay, great. I didn't yeah. realize that. I got a takeaway, Eric. See? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other thing I would recommend along... Um, Practical tips are do not share your passwords, you know, which is kind of tying into just yeah. our previous conversation. But two things happen when you share a password. Um, a, you're basically sharing your credentials. So the auditability of who logged in is lost because you don't know it was it you or was it somebody else or the second person or the third person you had shared with. But secondly, it also gives um, an idea of how you construct your passwords. So if you're using your dog's name and some number, then I start I realize that the way you construct your password are people that are significant in your life, and then you're going to add a certain you know number or something like that, and which may be the same number that it's your favorite number. So now I have something to work off of. So that's more of in line with social engineering, where you think you're just sharing a password, but what you're actually doing is giving them an insight to your your way of thinking and how you construct your passwords. So I should not use my date of birth anymore. Yeah. Okay. Or your dog's name. Or <laughs> exactly. All right. I'll stop. I have a few things to try after this. <laughs> sure. And then lastly, in order to uh, kind of emphasize what we were talking about, giving people insight about the way you think, um, minimizing maybe what you're publishing out as social media is something that's part of our day-to-day -day lives. So sometimes we end up oversharing and that may be, you know, your niece's name, your nephew's name, your dog's name, the street you live on, whatever it may be. So the more we share and put out there, that's information that's available for people. And they can combine this data and do, you know, maybe guess your password or maybe know your secret questions and the answers to your secret questions. 
So just be aware of what you're pushing out there and what you're putting out there personally. And uh, just in line with the DFA, just add DFA wherever you can. Yeah. That will help kind of backdoor access for anyone. I'm just thinking out loud. I I know as an advisor, uh, you send us training. So we, we go online, we do training to test for these you know, to make sure we're aware of how to look for those false emails. And also, um, you send out false emails, you know, to us and our team and trying to catch us and teach us, you know, to be more careful. Is that something that you might be rolling out to clients that we could, or are there places clients can go for training like that, that maybe like my business owners might send some of their employees to, to an online site, something like that? Yeah, there's uh, there's a few good references that are out there, and perhaps I can share that with you, and you'll be able to share that with your clients. But currently, we do use Wombat Training, which is a platform that allows all of the firm members, including our advisors and their staff members, to get educated on the latest patterns and trends around cybersecurity. And you know that gets applied in our day to day, just keeping an eye out for unusual behavior, or you know, falling less for some of those uh, techniques that that hackers are using currently. So a few of our advisor practices have actually opened up some of an extended training. And so that's something that we can talk about a little bit more. But with that really, I would recommend any anybody always getting a little bit more educated on cybersecurity just because it's a fast evolving field and hackers are getting clever with what they do. Sure. They're, they always seem to be a step ahead, right? Yeah, but you know we're we're trying to get a step ahead before <laughs> exactly. that. So, just a couple, two questions that clients have asked me. One is, you know, when they go to a Starbucks and they're getting their coffee, and they've, you know, the, do they use their Wi-Fi there or at the, at the airport? So, are there some protections that people can take to make sure that somebody sitting next to them can't access their data? Yeah, I would actually recommend not connecting to wirelesses that are not known or recognized. Um, there's something where people will actually broadcast signal names that look very much like the location that they're at. So you don't really, you know, you want to make sure you know what you're connecting to. So what I'd recommend in that situation is a lot of our mobile phones, the package allows for hotspots and just being able to connect to the hotspot through your carrier is probably the safest way if you're mobile, you're at an airport and things like that. So basically I'd recommend against connecting common or public wireless signals just because you don't know who's actually uh, tapping in or how that setup is fully done. So if you're going into things that are sensitive, if you're reading the news, you know, depending on what content you're navigating to, by all means, you know, connect to whatever you may want to. But if you're trying to access sensitive, you know, bank information and things like that, I'd recommend going through your wireless hotspot. Okay, that's good advice. And also, I, I think it seems to happen more and more, but when big data breaches happen, whether it's Macy's or, you know, Zappos, what are some of the things that people should do? I know people ask me if they should freeze their credit. I mean, do you have any recommendations about um, protections they could take after the fact? Yes. Yeah, as a, at Hightower, if there's any of those incidences that do occur, our enterprise risk management team is very heavily involved. So they offer certain things like you know credit monitoring, and that allows for keeping a close eye on any kind of unusual activity. And we have an entire process built around what a client can do in those types of situations. But in general, when we do see those uh, things occur, or some of those firms when they are going through that, depending on what the breach is, there's immediate steps that are taken to protect whatever that vulnerability was. You know, Target is a is a great example where, you know, someone got in through like an HVAC system or something like that, and so 
you know, being able to know what's actually connected to the entire network and then being those putting those protective measures in. Okay. And then beyond just reading about tech, about security, working every day in security, what are some of your hobbies? What, what are some of the things you do outside of work? Just how to hack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's a hacker. Uh-oh. <laughs> No, um, well, I do enjoy spending time with family and friends. Um, I love to travel and volunteer abroad. And during travel, I feel like you do learn a lot about the local culture, which I think ends up making you think out of the box. And I think that's what really helps kind of tie back in, into the field is that you're, you become resourceful in how you do things or how you think about things. So that's why I love learning about different cultures, because you get to see different applications of things or even... You know, we do it this way, but they do it this way. And just being able to notice the difference. Sure. And so I think it's just a great way of overall learning to think outside of the box. And then, you know, love outdoor activities and sports. So wherever the sun is, I'll probably be chasing it. All right. I'm just going to tell you I'm a White Sox fan, though. So really? that's the one we're thing gonna, we can disagree on. <laughs> we're going to have to talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm so grateful to have you uh, be a guest on the podcast today. This has been really helpful, I think, not only for me, but... I know it'll be helpful for my clients and other listeners, just um, knowing the things you do to help protect them, but also giving them some ideas about how to also protect themselves. So I want to thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Thank you. So I, I, I learned a ton. Uh, you said you like to travel. Have you ever been to Nigeria? I've actually been to Tanzania. Yeah, because I keep talking to this Nigerian prince that's... Uh, he wants me to help him. And I just, I wasn't sure if you've met him because there's I, like 20 million. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You should definitely looking, not send your funds there. A little concerned. But yeah, I, th I figured I'd, I'd, that's gonna, that's how I'm going to spend the rest of my day is disappointing him. So exactly uh, after what I learned here today, thank you so much. This was fantastic. And I know that Tim's clients and everybody listening is going to learn quite a bit. Uh, and so I, I just love it. Uh, I hope that you guys do have another opportunity to speak and it sounds like maybe some therapy is going to be involved with the whole white socks <laughs> thing and and uh exactly you guys can take care of that off air though so thank you all eric's in nebraska there's no baseball so you know college world series you come visit chicago sometime. no college world series you're right yeah. he does have college baseball that's right college world series don't forget that yeah. you can't discount that but yes i'd love to come to chicago and and uh, i i have and and i need to catch a game up there for sure yeah, we'll but, take you to a White Sox and Cubs and see which one. Yeah, the Crosstown Classic. <laughs> Ooh, boy, that sounds, I'll just eat hot dogs and be quiet the entire time. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you all for listening to the WellStream Podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And this makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family, no matter which team they're Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified 
appropriate financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC.